The Storycast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com/stories. Over 180,000 titles to choose from, all on your mobile device. So support the show and enrich your mind at audibletrial.com/stories. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, outside on a bright sunny day, take your watch and point the hour hand toward the sun. Now, imagine a line that splits the middle of the distance between the hour hand and the 12. The center of that acute angle points south. So the opposite end of that imaginary line always points north. If you're south of the equator, just point the 12 at the sun instead and reverse everything. But regardless of where you are on the globe, Congratulations, you just reverse engineered the sundial. For thousands of years, knowing one's direction was a matter of life or death, be you out on the raging Atlantic or finding your way back to the village through the twilight. Whether by sundial or compass or astrolabe or any other method, north has always been the signpost, the grand old marker that gives context to your current location on this planet or any other one for that matter. For the vast majority of the human experience, finding your way was harder to discover than simply speaking into your smartphone, dialing up your GPS, or simply following reflective street signs. For your ancestors, simply discovering north made all the difference. Like a parent's guiding hand navigating a toddler through a crowd, like a lighthouse's beacon rescuing a ship from the storm. Understanding true north tells us where we are, where we go next, and how to get there. This time on the StoryCast, show me the way. Chapter 1. A Rock in the Water All it takes is just a little bit of metal charged up and floating free. A sewing needle or a paper clip will do the trick. Just magnetize it by rubbing it on a refrigerator magnet or your dog's fur or your own hair. And that ordinary piece of metal magically becomes a compass floating in a glass of water. Early explorers in the modern era knew that the compass was not quite perfectly consistent, but it did point to some unknown force that furiously drew its attention up north. Because of the way in which the Earth's metallic core interacts with our planet's magnetic field, those forces skew a compass's magnetic needle with respect to the user's location. The idea that the Earth acts as a giant magnet for all the planet's metal was first proposed by English physician and philosopher William Gilbert in 1600. The first modern expedition to discover and pinpoint the magnetic pull led James Clark Ross to Canada's Boothia Peninsula in 1831, and then other explorers for the centuries to follow would trek westward across the northern Canadian tundra to find that ever-changing, imaginary magnetic location. Well, imaginary to all, except every magnet on Earth. And ever so slightly, that location kept changing, and keeps changing every second of every day due to the Earth's ever-changing core until one day the pole that all magnets prefer will finally fall in Russian soil and then continue around the globe. 
and then back again one day. But before we understood magnetic deviation, or the science behind the Pythagorean theorem, or all that much about modern science in general, there is a simpler explanation for what so taunted the needle of the compass. And the answer was Rupus Nigra, or the Black Rock. It was the darkest stretch of the Middle Ages, our historical armpit of unenlightenment stuffed between classical antiquity and the modern era. Rome and Greece were long, long gone, and the Reformations would be centuries ahead. The 1300s would be underscored by the Black Death and the Hundred Years' War in Europe, by political and natural disaster as the Mongol Khanates faced off against China and with the birth of the Ottoman Empire and continued spread of the Word of Islam. But during that time, while too many millions were experiencing the cold facts and reality of death from plague, a fantastical account of an island up north would lead to a phantom book which would redefine how humans understood direction and geography moving forward. And this new understanding would be completely erroneous. But then again, what should one expect from the Dark Ages? We'll start with the book, or really the alleged book, because the document at hand was lost to time, but so referenced for his influence that it carried weight for quite some time. Invincio Fortunata, or Fortunate Discovery, was a travelogue written by a 14th century Franciscan friar from Oxford, commissioned by England's King Edward III for a half dozen expeditions across the Northern Atlantic to chart the seas and uncover commercial possibilities in the imperialist age. This friar's book, now completely vanished, was once presented to the king as a journal of a fact-finding mission north of 54 degrees. And these facts, what that friar found there at the North Pole, are out of this world. There are no known extracts from Invencio Fortunata. Rather, a summary of the original work was written by another traveler later in the 15th century. Then after that summary was also lost to time. But its content recalled in a letter to Flemish cartographer Mercator, who documented the geographical findings. It really was a 300-year-old game of telephone that told the story of the first expedition to unlock the secrets of the North Pole. But whomever the original author was, this friar, this explorer, charting the uncharted waters to bring back new understanding and data and explanation, what exactly did he discover? The question becomes, where exactly does fact and fiction and speculation and antiquity collide? But it's not the question for so many stories about our past. According to the accounts and summaries spawned from the friar's travelogue, he traveled into and beyond the perilous indrawing seas past Greenland and the northern Atlantic islands. He followed the powerful magnetic force beckoning the power of the compass, known since Roman times. And from there, we see through Mercator's eyes in his map, derived from the summary and from the letter, we see there standing directly at the Earth's northernmost point a breathtaking 33-mile-wide, bare, black, magnetic mountain reaching to the heavens. And surrounding this gargantuan magnetic peak at the Arctic Pole, a set of concentric island continents divided by four powerful rivers rushing northward, creating a surging whirlpool of sea surrounding the source of all magnetism, the Rupus Nigra. And there are measurements of degrees and charting of currents by the friar 
and detailed eyewitness accounts of the black and glistening mountain of pure magnetism upon which nothing grows, and thereon lies not so much as a handful of soil, and tales of the pygmy race that inhabit two of the four island continents, who are probably ancestors of the Inuit of Quebec and Labrador. In 1577, Mercator penned these following words to astronomer and alchemist John Dee, advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, saying, quote, This is word for word everything I copied out of this author years ago. In the midst of the four countries is a whirlpool, into which these empty four indrawing seas which divide the north, and the water rushes round and descends into the earth, just as if one were pouring it through a filter funnel. It's four degrees wide on every side of the pole, that is to say eight degrees altogether, except that right under the pole lies a bare rock in the midst of the sea. Its circumference is almost 33 miles, and it's all of magnetic stone. The friar certainly hadn't made it to the North Pole. But if his account is true, surely whatever he did find was a sight to behold, if not a marvelous tale fit for a king. Or perhaps misunderstood and reimagined and rebooted as the facts become watered, because in the end, if there's something we don't understand in life, why not just apply the world we do know to the unknown? And it suddenly makes perfect sense, despite the truth. Chapter 2. Starlight, Starbright So many of the early inhabitants of the Americas, including the Lakota, Hopi, and Zuni nations to name a few, believed that our stars were our ancestors. And no star is more prominent throughout history than Polaris, the North Star. Known as the Guiding Star, Polaris is a dependable, naked-eye guiding light for the direction of North through celestial navigation. Because of its happenstance location and relationship to our Earth, Polaris will be a constant in the sky for around 26,000 years, when our Earth's axis of rotation will shift enough to make Polaris no longer appear fixed in the northernmost sector of every starry night. And just as direction from our folkloric ancient ancestors help us find our way, those loved ones that we've lost continue to speak to us from the grave, or perhaps the stars. Five of my family members who have passed still speak to me in a special way. Now lost to time, each still lights my path like the constant needle of a compass pointing north, like the guiding star on a dark night. Those who come before us leave us with little lessons to light the way. My grandfather Antone had five children and a rose garden. He grew up poor and worked every job in the book. He enlisted into the service whenever we went to war. He was a provider and a giver and a hard worker. And I could hear and see his work ethic every moonlit night as I lay in bed drifting off as a young child visiting my grandparents. Because as we kids would pretend to sleep, he would be outside in his meticulously pruned and perfected rosebush garden. Each beautiful plant displayed honorably in wood frame boxes laid out in a flawless grid pattern that made up an interconnecting crosshatch of roses that one could walk through for hours. And each night he would tend to those flowers in the cool of the evening, pruning, weeding, raking, caring. Antone taught me sacrifice. His wife Dorothy was the epitome of love. 
love for her family, her children, her home, her cooking, her grandchildren, and the life she had built with her husband. But above all else, it was through whatever kitchen masterpiece of the day that her affection radiated. Those amazing old world recipes passed down from family in Portugal and Poland, whether malasadas delicately fried and rolled in white sugar, or bean soup slaved over all day to perfection, were simply a plate of cookies shoved into one's face upon passing through the front door. My grandmother was the darling of anyone's heart who partook in her culinary tour de force. Dorothy taught me passion. My other grandfather, Don, was the patriarch of our family. He was the constant, the stalwart, the voice of reason. He was the force that all else flowed through. He was a man who can never die, and though his body once did, his life still flows. He nurtured and lifted up, inspired and surprised, listened and reassured. He left every human he encountered mightier. His own strength was only surpassed by his grace. He was timeless and impossible to lose, yet in death, his memory makes him even stronger. Dawn taught me trust. My father taught me more than I could ever write, and probably much more than I would ever admit to his face. Because in death, a life truly lived comes to life. My dad valued wise choices and a courageous mind. He used his wits to analyze, to comfort, to strategize. He loved using analogies that would bring light to new ideas. He loved answering in multifaceted thoughts and near puzzles that might take you days or decades to decipher. And he knew when to talk or when to just laugh and smile. Bernie taught me wisdom. And finally, my uncle Rick, while not a man I was close with, in fact, I probably only saw him a dozen times or so in my life, yet one evening many years back, strikes a chord with me in ways that I can only begin to now unpack. It was a simple barbecue, and he was the grill master, and he loved a good cheeseburger, and he made a mean cheeseburger. I had three that night. He kept them coming, and as a poor college student, it was the thing that dreams are made of. And even when I was stuffed, he still made me another, and he sent me home with a couple more. Cheeseburger was his language. Rick taught me charisma, sacrifice, passion, trust, wisdom, charisma. What more could a life require of us? Those five ideas mark out a pretty reliable compass for anyone, whatever your path. A life well lived, being honest with oneself, valuing truth above regret, and making the right decision, no matter what the cost. These are the stories that we pass on for generations to come. This is all we are, the sum of our experiences. Our bodies simply go away one day, and all we leave behind is what guides us, what lights our way, what direction exactly, our own needle points. So where is true north? That's for you to decide.
Chapter 3. What Was Lost We wrap up the final chapter of Season 2 with the final track in this new album to be released early July on iTunes. So keep a lookout on social media if you want to check it out. This song, Lost and Found, is about taking a step back and finding your way. Thank you for being a part of this second full season of StoryCast. This little musical storytelling experiment as a part of every show was fun, and I hope you enjoyed it too. And remember, if you want to support this show, you can always head over to support.storycastpodcast.com. I'm standing at the bridge As the four winds blow so soft Yeah, they're taking us back To that moment so long, so long Just to take another hit through our fingertips grown careless so so long gone With that same blameless sun melody been ringing through my ears The StoryCast is written and produced by myself. I tweet at Russell Silva, so stay in touch. 
This week, you heard music from Dustin O'Halloran, Mark Streitenfield, the Cinematic Orchestra, and myself. The StoryCast will continue next fall with the next chapters of life that tell the stories of us through a common thread. So until next time, think, feel, and wonder a little bit more. The StoryCast is supported by you every time you click on our Amazon banner and shop. So head over to storycastpodcast.com and click or bookmark our Amazon ad. And we get a kickback on every order you make every time. Simple as that. Thanks.